City University Television presents The American Theater Wing Seminars Working in the Theater This seminar, Production Hello, I'm Sandra Gilman, first vice chair of the American Theatre Wing. Welcome to the American Theatre Wing's Working in the Theatre Seminars. We are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. For 30 years, we have brought you the top professionals of the theatre world who describe their personal experiences working in this wonderful art form. Today we will hear a candid discussion of what it takes to bring new plays to Broadway. It gives me great pleasure to introduce the moderator of this panel, Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Thank you, Sandra. One of the most challenging tasks in theatre today is said to be producing a new play on Broadway. We've come from an era in which Perhaps a hundred years ago, you literally had hundreds of shows opening on Broadway between plays and musicals. Only a few decades ago, you might see 50 to 60 new shows opening on Broadway. Now we're down to perhaps 30 shows a year, and fewer and fewer of them have tended to be new plays. This year, however, is an exception. There have been a total of 13 new plays on Broadway between commercial and not-for-profit productions but it remains an extremely challenging part of the context of theater is getting a new play on Broadway. And today we want an opportunity to talk to you all about how new plays get to Broadway, why we need to support new plays on Broadway, and the machinery of getting them there. Uh, we have a terrific panel to talk to you about that. We'll begin from my right. First, we have Michael Hartman, who is a partner in Barlow Hartman, one of the premier public relations firms working on Broadway today. Next to him is Benjamin Mordecai, a producer of both, with both Benjamin Mordecai Productions as well as Producers for a new partnership he's formed, and most recently, Producers of Sixteen Wounded. Next to Ben is Michael Parva. Michael is the founding artistic director of the director's company, making his Broadway producing debut with Primate. To my immediate left, Dower Roth, producer of countless plays over the past several years here in New York, most recently the Pulitzer Prize winner, Anna in the Tropics. And to her left, Robert Lupone, co-artistic director of MCC Theatre, which is producing its first production directly on Broadway, and that production is Frozen, which was a great success for them off-Broadway earlier this year. Welcome to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to start, even though he asked me not to, <laughs> with Michael Parva, because this is Michael's first venture in commercial producing, and he's doing it outside of the structure of the director's company. So in an environment which we all know to be so challenging and, and such a difficult economic model to work in, very simply, 
what, how did you find out about Primate? What drew you to Primate? And what convinced you to make that plunge? Well, um, I, I, I wanted you to go with someone else because I'm a newcomer here uh, with my esteemed colleagues. And uh, in terms of commercial producing, I've been producing off-Broadway for years now. But commercially, uh, this is my first uh, stab at it. And um, Primate, uh, what, what drew me to the project was um, the subject matter, the people involved. I've had, I have a long-standing history with Ed Sharon, the director, and uh, Mark, the playwright. And uh, I, when I read this play, I was, I was completely taken with it. So it, it's, very, it's um, a very passionate reason why I'm doing it. It, it, uh, it stems from a love of the play, and then to the people involved in the cast. So that started it all. And did you get involved in the play really from the moment you read it? Or certainly there was a much talked about production of this play right. down in Florida. Was it, was it seeing it on that stage that really yes, moved you to, yes. to say? Well, reading it first was the, the true uh, beginning of my love affair with the project. And then uh, seeing it confirmed my passion. I thought it was very challenging for an audience. It's, it's a kind of theater that I don't see often uh, on, on stage, or at least on the Broadway stage. Uh, I, you may see this in an off-Broadway arena or around the country, but um, on Broadway, it's not, it's not easy fare. And uh, so I uh, thought it, it's time that we, I mean, there's been a lot of courageous moves with all my colleagues uh, on the stage here in terms of putting on pay plays that they're, they feel strongly about. And uh, I think audiences are, we, I, I'd like to think audiences are um, coming around to supporting those efforts. And um, it remains to be seen. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, the, yes, after seeing the play, I, I, um, it confirmed my passion about this project. Now, Bobby, you produced Frozen off-Broadway mm -hmm. at MCC, mm -hmm. and certainly there have been shows from MCC that have moved on to commercial runs, very notably Wit, which Daryl was one of the producers mm -hmm. of. But you've taken the step in this case of it is MCC is the producer of this show on Broadway at Circle in the Square. What was the choice as a not-for-profit institution to self-produce commercially? Uh, I think it's economic. You know, if we're able to raise the money, which is, of course, the challenge, then uh, we'd like to bring the money, if there is some, back to the coffers of the theater. So from the standpoint of economics, if you're able to raise the money, and so far we've raised the money, you know, uh, um, then you have an opportunity to produce. Also, you know, like Michael said, there's a passion about the play, and oftentimes what happens when, uh, you know, did not have this case with Daryl. Present company excluded. Yes, present company excluded. <laughs> but oftentimes a commercial producer will come in, mm -hmm. as one did in trying to move Frozen, and said, of course, oh yes, she'll take care of all the artistic stuff, but we'll make all the business decisions. And understandably, it's their money that, that's at risk. But um, we, wanted to t we wanted to own the project. We, wanted to, we had nursed it from its inception, and we wanted to bring it to fruition, hopefully, on Broadway, and we did. So I think, you know, it's non-profit versus for-profit. I don't think that exists anymore. It, it, quite frankly, I think we're all compatriots because it's so difficult now because it's so expensive. And even though we may seem like we're competitors with each other because we have different shows, we're all rooting for each other uh, because a great show is a great show is a great show, and that's what we all respond to. 
And like with working with Daryl, which we did with Wit, it was terrific because she brought information to us as nonprofit people that we did not know about. Uh, her experience and her expertise uh, certainly got us over some bumps. And that information I'm now using now <laughs> in, in this production of Frozen. I, I just think that it's, uh, you know, if, if you have the wherewithal and the economic fortune to be able to move a play, why would you not want to? And particularly if you can control the project, why would you not want to? And you made a choice because certainly Frozen is not a large cast show. Right. And you did it in a small space off-Broadway. Um, you made a choice not to move it to a commercial run off-Broadway, but to move it on. What were the factors that weighed That's on, an artistic on thinking decision. about that? Really? Absolutely an artistic decision because, you know, I mean, I understand now why, if you're going to move to Broadway, why would you not want to have a proscenium house with that balcony of uh, 500 extra seats, so therefore it's 1,100 seats, and if you think the orchestra pays for the production, that 500, if it's filled, is profit. For at 600 seats, that's just, I'm sort of like breaking even at, uh, with this choice. But the play was done in a thrust, and the play demands an audience participation. That's the best way I can put it. The actors are in the audience in this instance. If they're not, the uh, uh, proscenium, it became a, a, a monologue, a treatise of monologues, which is not the experience of the play. And what Doug Hughes, the director, did is he made sure that that didn't happen by putting the actors in the audience, and that was accomplished by a thrust. Try to find a thrust in New York outside of Circle in the Square that can be considered a commercial theater. It's nigh impossible. So we were lucky and fortunate enough to get uh, that theater, and that theater particularly because of the artistic and aesthetic reasons. To pursue that, and going back to Wit, mm -hmm. Wit was certainly a much-talked-about play. It had mm -hmm. great success uh, in the production in New Haven, which then went to MCC. Um, but it did stay off-Broadway. Was that an artistic decision? Was that an economic decision? Um, how, did, how, how did that get made? Well, that was a very interesting decision that actually wasn't 100% ours to make. Exactly. Um, <laughs> as most people now know, happily, Wit is a play that dealt with a very serious and sad subject, which ultimately was a hopeful and, and beautiful presentation of a woman dying of ovarian cancer. And when we went to talk to some of the producers that had Broadway, uh, some of the theater owners, excuse me, that had Broadway houses, they weren't too interested in, no. in having us come. And so our decision to go to the Union Square Theater, which was one of the largest off-Broadway houses, was pretty much made for us, right. in a way. Right. We did contemplate Broadway. Ultimately, I think we ran longer, had a healthy, healthy run off-Broadway, because our weekly, you know, expenses weren't as high as they would have been on Broadway. People did find it, they sought it out. I think they would have found it if it were nestled somewhere in a, you know, off the beaten track place because of the play itself and the performances. And the only thing that it didn't give us was an opportunity to be Tony nominated. Everything else, I think, right. we gained right. and gained beautifully and smartly by being off-Broadway. I think also the times have changed. I mean, five, that was five years ago, mm -hmm. 98. The economics of putting on a show off-Broadway are almost as similar to on-Broadway. Mm -hmm. yeah, they're much they're, closer they're now. much closer now. Five right. years ago, you could spend maybe two-thirds of the money that it now costs yeah. to, uh, to do a show on Broadway. But now, mm -hmm. because of the economics, it's, it's, why not go to Broadway? Because it's, it's the same amount of money. Well, I want to come back to the economics. Um, ben, with 16 Wounded, that was a play which had its premiere. Uh, it's funny, we keep mentioning Long Wharf today already, but Long Wharf uh, Theater did it last season. And uh, you and Drew Jamson got together to, to bring it in. But it was not a simple transfer. It was not, you saw it, let's bring that in. 
How did that, how did the road to Broadway uh, affect that work? Uh, <coughs> well, there were major uh, uh, changes in the, uh, in the play itself. Uh, we were all very excited about the play. Uh, Rocco Landisman and Drew Jamson really was immediately a champion of the piece, and one of my partners, Bob Bartner, also uh, uh, was an early champion. And uh, uh, one of the decisions that uh, was led, by the way, by Gordon Edelstein, the artistic director of Long Wharf, was that we really needed to take a new approach if the production was, or the play was going to be moved further. And uh, at uh, Gordon's suggestion and Jack Vertel, who's also with Drew Jamson's suggestion, Gary Hines was brought in as the director and began working with the author and, and very substantive changes were made uh, to the text, particularly uh, the largest overall change was that the entire action of the play took place in the bakery as opposed to in multiple locations. Uh, I went to a reading of uh, this new script and uh, it was the, uh, uh, the result was that I was tipped over on, on the side of really uh, joining in this project. As so many people have been saying, you know, uh, producing uh, is a, really a personal decision. Uh, someone once told me that producers really only get two decisions, to produce something and to close it. <laughs> and uh, everything else, there's a committee uh, uh, in the middle. But I really fell in love with the piece that day, as Bob had and uh, Jack and Rocco, so we all joined forces. The cast, uh, with the exception of uh, one actor, was entirely new. So it was really an, you know, a new production of a play that had first found life at Long Wharf. Actually, it was first done at the Cherry Lane Theater in New York, and then Long Wharf. And, uh, and then we did it on Broadway. Now, why did we choose to do it on Broadway? Well, uh, Rocco Landisman in particular felt it was a very important play, that it had the power to attract 6,000 people a week for a period of time. And uh, uh, we all joined with him uh, in that conviction. And, uh, and we were also able to uh, realized the play fully. Uh, we raised enough money to really uh, produce it fully the way we wanted to and the way Gary Hines wanted to and, and the playwright wanted to. So that's a sort of a long story as to why, you know, how it got to Broadway. It was not uh, just a simple, we saw it along where, let's do it. It was really, there were those many steps. Now, Daryl, with Anna in the Tropics, mm -hmm. again, in, in some ways, an unusual pattern because the show premiered at a small theater in Florida and won the Pulitzer Prize before most people have heard anything about it. Mm -hmm. Is that when you first became aware of the play? Yes, that's when I first became aware of the play, and that's when I first read the play, but I actually had not seen the Florida production. Um, I knew that it was going to be done at the McCarter under Emily Mann's direction, and so... Roger Berlin, who had very generously and graciously helped Princeton and the McCarter build this gorgeous new theater, which is where Anna was going to premiere, asked if I'd be interested in coming, uh, coming in with him 
in producing it if it was meant to go from the McCarter into a commercial life on Broadway. And since I had read the play and loved it, in fact, the year that it won the Pulitzer Prize, I had another play that was nominated, The Goat, Edward Alvey's The Goat or Who is Sylvia. And so I said, who is this Nilo Cruz and what is this play, Anna, in the tropics that won over Edward Alvey's The Goat? That's when I read the play, actually. And so I realized that it was a major piece of writing and Nilo is a marvelous, marvelous voice in the theater. And so it all came together for me in that way. And McCarter produced it in, in October, yeah. uh, I believe, and you... We there came was very no, and then you, because I think there's so many things uh, yeah. that have happened swiftly this year. Frozen has um, happened. <laughs> but, but you really, you went down to an early mm -hmm. preview, as I understand it, and you all said, we're ready to do it, and made the commitment to opening it on Broadway before it had actually even opened officially down at McCarter. There were a few reasons that that decision was, was made, and I think wisely so. Uh, Jimmy Smits, who was one of the lead actors in the play, had a certain period of time that he was committed to do the play. And we didn't want to have it happen at the McCarter and then go down for a period of time and then go back up on Broadway using up valuable time that Jimmy was available to us and to the play. So that was one part of the decision. And there was also, the, you know, the timing issue. You know, when is it right to open a play on Broadway? I don't know that that question has a proper answer anymore. And Michael can, can attest to that. People used to say, oh, you must open first thing in the fall. Nope, you must open first thing in the spring. Nope, don't open in the way. You just don't know. So with Anna, we just said, we're all here. We've got the cast together. We were very, um, very supportive of that entire cast moving. And we had a theater available to us. You know, it's always a risk. We just said, let's take this risk now. The time is right for it. And we did. Well, well, let's just pursue that for a second. Very quickly, do people believe there is a good time to open a play now? Uh, Michael? Is uh, <coughs> pardon me. I don't think that there's a, a right time to open a play. I think Daryl's right. I think with Anna in the Tropics, um, it was a really smart producing decision to bring it in because the play won the Pulitzer in April. So the Pulitzer had been a couple of months in the, in the past already. The play opened at... at uh, at the McCarter and got great reviews there. So it's always, I think, more so than, than considering what time of year it is or what time in the season it is. I think it's, it's all circumstantial based on what the project is. I think using momentum is key. And I think it's interesting also to point out that all of the plays that we've talked about so far, all of the plays that, that are represented here or the producers that are represented for plays here, all came from uh, a regional theater or a not-for-profit. Um, and that's that's, ba that's basically the norm. It, all plays originate from somewhere before they come to Broadway. I mean, that's a, perhaps an overstatement, but well, I think it's... Well, the only exception in recent history, if I might interject, is the goat. And I can tell you, after Michael finishes his thought, why we did that. But ordinarily, I don't think it's wise to open a play on Broadway cold. I believe Match, actually, this oh, match. season match. also, match, also right. fits that model. Those two, that's right. But pursue right. but, 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 that, unless we're, we're cutting you off, Michael. No, 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 not at all. What, why, you know, with the GOAT, certainly you had a major playwright, you know, whose name alone right. is well known, Edward Albee. But, um... It was based on a decision that Liz McCann and Edward and I actually made based on the subject of the play. Um, the play is about a man who falls deeply and passionately in love with a goat. And we thought <laughs> that people wouldn't take it seriously if they, you know, traveled around the country, regional theaters did it. It would sort of be out of the box in a way that 
we didn't want it to be out that way. We wanted people to experience it, understand the beauty and, and you know, the writing and, and the sincerity of the story. And we really decided that if it happened here and it happened there, people would just say, oh, oh you saw that bestiality play, didn't you? And it wouldn't have the, you know, the import that it actually did achieve, I think. There was a bit of mystery around it, and, and hmm. that was the decision. Well, you raised something interesting about shows that play in regional theaters, and, and I think you can speak to this, and, and, and Ben can as well, which is sometimes when you have a new work, and Ben had this great experience over the years of taking August Wilson's plays through a series of regional theaters. It's now well known, uh, the process that those plays go through, playing in a number of regional theaters, sometimes for as much as a year, year and a half, with downtime in between the engagements uh, before it comes to Broadway. By the same token, when you're developing a new work, you can also be in a situation where if a new play is wonderfully well received at a regional theater, it sometimes becomes harder to get the work done on the play that you mm -hmm. as producers might want to see happen. Can you talk a little bit about that? And well, August not necessarily being the right case in point for this, of course, but... Uh, I think every writer and every project has its own rhythm. And uh, one of the things that I've tried to learn over the years is how to follow the rhythm that really is appropriate. Uh, I felt that some of the biggest mistakes I've made have been because I've tried to force a process when the creative work was not at the same time, or not in sync, I guess is the right word. Um, so, you know, I've done all of August's plays, and I have a very good sense of August rhythm. And he requires that time, you know, to see his new work on the stage, to contemplate it, uh, and then to see it again and work. That is what is correct for him. It may not be right for every writer. Uh, I... Um, I also think that, uh, there, that there are some uh, opportunities that you have that you want to take that, you know, such as uh, moving uh, um, the uh, Neil Cruz play, which was absolutely the right decision because you had a production that was ready mm -hmm. and the play was ready. So I, I just don't think there's a formula. I don't think one can approach working on a serious new work in a formulaic way. But don't you, think, uh, don't you think that all plays require that investment in time and energy in terms of before they're even ready to come mm. and be judged? I mean, I, I think all of us would agree that the investment in time and energy about the play, <coughs> a new play in particular, is well warranted. Yeah, I, I do think that. Right. Whether it's a fast rhythm or a s slow rhythm or any rhythm. You know, some, sometimes, you know, working with Parrot, he has no chance for a rewrite in his own head, and then the next day he comes back with an idea, or the next year he comes back with an idea. I'm not sure that I really understand the play until yeah. I've seen it produced. Right. I mean, it's, I, mean I, I find personally that I, that's, you know, I discover a lot. Not that whether I like the play or not, I know that. But uh, how to try to realize it in its fullest fashion takes, takes uh, time for me, anyway. I have to, I echo that. I was, the last night was the first preview of Frozen, and I was seeing things in the play that I've never seen before, just because it was a different look uh, and a different production, if you will, even though it's the same production, a different theater, rather. And I echo that. It's, it's well, Caroline, or Change While, it's not a play, although in a funny way it is a play with right. music, right. Um, which is coming from the 
<coughs> public theater, also in a very swift transition, as mm -hmm. we're speaking about, has such new nuances, such new beauty, such new discoveries for everybody that's seeing it now, just in transferring it from one stage to another. Mm -hmm. Things happen, and right. lighting becomes different and more magical, right. the actors somehow coming from a smaller space to a proscenium stage. Things happen, and my experience with Caroline is that it's become so much more enhanced, and this move was totally the right thing to do. Sometimes it's good. I will say I've seen <laughs> plays that I don't think should have moved to Broadway that have. That would have been theater. the wrong theater, the right. wrong physicality, right, right. you know, where intimacy is totally forsaken just for the sake of going to Broadway. And, right. and you know, I'm sad about that because then it doesn't really serve the play. Mm. Well, this may sound like a completely innocuous question, but Broadway is commercial theater, with the exception of if you're at Roundabout uh, Manhattan Theater Club or Lincoln Center Theater at this mm -hmm. point. What makes a play commercial, or what makes... <laughs> <laughs> we could answer that one. Well, <laughs> <laughs> as I said, it's... Mystery <laughs> of life. <laughs> you know, but... but I, I'm sorry, I defer to you. I don't know what makes a play commercial. I think we could all have an hour and a half conversation just about that. But well, I we've got that much time. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> but I do think you care about the play. You, you read something or you see something, you care about the artists, and that's what drives you, I think. And, and in the course of that care and concern, you end up... Um, developing it, working on it. Um, the ideas interest you, the, the philosophy of the play interest you, the art, the possible, but the potential for art, in, uh, the potential for art interest you, and uh, I, that's the only thing I can go on. Well, I think that as, as a press agent and somebody that's interested in commerce and a direct correlation <laughs> to commerce and getting the word out to the public, I think that, that to build a campaign, I think there are five points, and you have to have at least one of them, and I think the goal would be great to have all five, but it rarely happens. I think you have, the play has had to transfer from London with favorable <laughs> reviews. Well said. Transfer from a not-for-profit or a regional theater with favorable reviews, a star or a variety of stars in your cast, a lauded playwright and or socially and politically and or politically compelling subject matter. I think I, as I build a campaign, those are the five points that I look for and try and match up as many of them as I can. If you have all five, I think you've got a good shot. You rarely have all five. Interesting. You know, it, 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 on the other an, uh, side of that, not that I disagree that uh, play has to have that, but it has to touch people in a way that uh, makes an audience member who's seen it go out and say, you've got to go see this play. Because that's the snowballing effect that um, uh, you hope for. And as a, when you read a play or you get impassioned by it, you're feeling, I think as a producer, you're feeling, well, this is moving me. And hopefully, um, there's something in the universal uh, aspect of it that, that, uh, that you hope will go from beyond your own personal reaction, that, that you feel there's, there's got to be a lot of people that want to feel this and see this. And then, um, because you can have all those things in place actually and still miss the bottom line of, uh, of people wanting to see the play for their own I just want to be clear, ways. I said to build a campaign. Yeah. Not, yeah. To sell, not, not that the show actually does sell because you, I mean, the best laid plans sometimes mm -hmm. just don't work yeah. for a variety of reasons. And I think, you know, we, we this could turn into a five-hour discussion yeah. if we started getting into, into those reasons. I think yeah. the passion that we as producers feel in choosing <coughs> a work to support 
is without question the first step of, of you know, believing it and being yeah. a tenacious producer. Right. But all of those feelings can be there and your love of the piece and the play and everything can be there. And the audience doesn't come. That's true. Then we say, okay, what, what was the missing link? What did we do wrong? Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes it has nothing to do with the play. It could be Competition. so many other yeah, things. Right. There are a lot timing. of plays on now. Timing, timing, timing. weather. Timing. I mean, we had... When we did um, Medea, which was a very limited engagement, it was over the Christmas holiday because that was the only period of time, uh, you know, that, that this cast, which was traveling around the world, actually, had to do it here. Mm -hmm. And I think the lesson I learned is that I will never do that again. Medea for the holidays is simply it's not, <laughs> not what people want. What was I thinking? You can... Well, no, I, I can see some interesting kids. advertising campaigns, but they're not necessarily germane to the project. It was so sad. But there again, you know, I mean, to... But you don't to, know until you do it. That's, you, and you don't. And no. once again, I loved that production, and that I had gorgeous. the great honor of working on that production. I thought it was one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, but it didn't catch the wind. It didn't catch on. But, but you know, I do, uh, to, to Michael's point also about feeling passionate about it. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, I applaud you for doing that because it was such an extraordinary production, and you made the decision that if it didn't happen it in that have. window of time, it wouldn't have happened. Um, and I think that that is a very important decision because I think that that theater has always been a platform for, for social consciousness. And I think that plays like that, yeah. I think the competition for that, the competition for being the center of that or the source of that in people's lives, that's what the thing I think yeah. that is getting very clogged with other things. It's easier, I think, for people that are looking for something like that. There are things that are easier to ingest. There is, you know, a half-hour documentary yeah. or there is, you know, uh, a story in USA Today. There are many other things mm -hmm. now that take the place of, you know, theater used, it used to be the foothold of that That's in our right. society. That's and true. I think it's, there's That's competition right. there. Okay. So you raised a question about a sixth element I want to ask you about that <coughs> clearly you didn't list it as, as one of yours, and I want to know how this works. Talking about the plays that are here, Frozen deals with, with, with murder and pedophilia as elements in the play. I would say a journey of a woman's grief to redemption. Okay. And forgiveness. And well, forgiveness, I'm, exactly. I'm being reductive. <laughs> you said bestiality. <laughs> you, you have some very controversial elements, potentially, in primate. Wait, you have to name them. Yeah, what? Seeing it. You have the Palestinian situation in 16 Wounded. Is there a place for controversy in the commercial theater? Is that something that you can use, or is that something that you avoid? Well, it's well, a good question because we're up against reality TV and, and all that's a that good point. media that uh, you know. You can find it. That home. theater mm. is a whole different beast, and, and we are that's our competition, I think, uh, if, uh, in a certain way. Um, so, subject the, the the bar has been raised or lowered depending on how you view it uh, as to how and what we, we put on the stage. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's all right. I, you know, I, I'm drawn to plays that have to do with something about mm -hmm. our society, about our world. And, uh, and that's what I am interested in producing. And, you know, there are other very good plays. There are, you know, some wonderful farces that are really just wonderful frills that are thoroughly entertaining and, and a, a good evening in the theater. But I have no interest in them, personally. You know, the work that I like is, you know, confronts us in some way. Now, sometimes that is commercially successful, and sometimes it isn't. But, but that's what, uh, and I think, yeah, I you think know, this, this channel has here, that in common. Uh, 
Uh, where does that come from, though? I'm curious because I agree with you, but where I, I've never tried to detail what it is because I'm more subjective about my choices. But I agree with you that I have a. I feel a social consciousness. I feel mm -hmm. a purpose in producing. It's not just for me entertainment, even though I've acted in plays that are nothing but entertainment. <laughs> but where does that come from in you? A greater sense of... I can only answer personally. Well, uh, that'd be and, good enough. Uh, <laughs> 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 it, I didn't really understand what was driving me in, in the theater. I'm being quite honest about uh -huh. this. Until I started working with Lloyd Richards. Uh -huh. Because it was his passion for work of this nature that, in, you know, connected s somehow to me and made me understand what I really wanted to do. So he was my mentor in this. Uh, and uh, uh, it was through him that I sort of found my own place in this, uh, as a producer in this industry. And I, you know, that, but it, I really didn't know that. And I didn't come to work with Lloyd t seeking that. Uh -huh. I just, mm -hmm. it, I, it was a result. And what about you? How did you? Because you, you have such a breadth of record of choices and artistic product. I think for me it uh, is much like Ben, very personal. I think the plays that I'm drawn to have a, a push a personal button for me. There are issues either I'm really curious about and feel I'm in a position to put out there for people to digest, mm -hmm. or sometimes issues that I'm really afraid about confronting and think that maybe through theater I'll have a better knowledge and therefore mm -hmm. other people will too. Um, I like, I, th I think I like the effect that theater has on people and I get a real great satisfaction of being part of making that happen and being part of being able to put that out there. I mean, I wouldn't be, my head wouldn't be turned with a light farce of a play to produce. That just wouldn't interest me at all. And I also think in some way I'm honoring my parents in a way because my father was a very socially conscious person. My mother is a very... Um, very smart and serious woman, and I think that you know they would be proud of the sort of things that I'm doing. Right. Um, and I think everyone comes from their own personal mm -hmm. stuff, you know. And for me, it's that. For me, it's that. And I've been lucky, you know. Some of the things, certainly wit that we did together, right. was confrontational theater, you know, in a very delicate way, and it touched so many people's lives. Yeah. And I feel, as I know you do. You know, just so good about that and so responsible for something good, making change. Um, you know, whenever you can offer a dialogue or a discussion and people start thinking about things, um, I think then as, as producers we've done, we've done a good job. Michael, in promoting a think. show, can you build that? You know, do you do you want to get into a situation that becomes the Passion of the Christ? Is it about <laughs> just, <laughs> is it, or is it just about uh, helping to build a conversation about a play? What, uh... uh <clears throat> well, I would say in terms of controversy, the controversy that I would always like to avoid uh, in the selling of a show is that of religion, <laughs> because religion is so divisive. And very much of the time when religion is an issue, there can be no dialogue about it. It stays divided. Um, but yeah, you, you, can s you can sell a show based on controversy, but there's got to be, at some point, the controversy can't be s such that it consumes the entire perception of the project. Mm -hmm. If it's a piece of it, I think it's palatable to people because they perhaps think, and I also think, I think this is a good time to talk about who we target as the audience for new plays. Mm, and I think we all sit in meetings and we speak of this group of people that exists out there as the avid theater goers. And I think there is the avid theater goers that go to plays and musicals, and then there's the avid theater goer that goes to new plays, which is a very sub, it's a smaller subgroup of that larger group. Sure. 
And um, I think that that's, it's, uh, you always target them right off the bat because they're the people that you need to get in early. They're the people that are compelled to go and see what a new play is about or hear a new voice in the theater. Um, but you need, to, you need to break out of that. Controversy sometimes is a way to gain attention for your project um, from people that maybe don't normally go to plays, but it's an issue that's interesting to them. Or um, uh, it's controversy in a different way. It's, it's uh, on Anna and the Tropics. It was the mm -hmm. first time that an all-Hispanic cast uh, had opened right. a Broadway show by, by a Latino playwright. Um, and that, that is important in itself. That right, is important, yeah. and in and of itself, a bit yeah. controversial. I mean, and I think, you know, pushing the envelope about whether that's something to be, and the Times wrote a very supportive story about this issue, and it became a little controversial because they talked about the issues of the avid theater-going audience or a non-ethnic or a white, th white theater-going audience having reservations about that. And is that fair, and is that something that's, that's a given, or is that something that you can overcome? And it was a, I thought it was a really good article. And one of the other challenges we have, which I think feeds into this discussion, is wanting to increase audiences in any way we can and build audiences, new audiences mm -hmm. coming into the theater, and, and certainly try to target as Ben has done so successfully, um, new people come in and see what we're talking about. We're talking to you. We're talking to you. We're talking to everybody. You know, even though this might have been the first all Hispanic cast on Broadway, the story was a universal love story. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so it, and and you think with with the pedigree of the Pulitzer that mm -hmm. that would immediately. Uh, Telegraph to people that no, it's something. It's, it's some, yes, exactly something bigger, yeah. something re more relevant. Well, you you mentioned the challenge of religion, so but now we're coming to the issue of race and how that plays in. And of course, what mm -hmm. you did with Anna, Ben, you had a comparable situation with Flower Drum Song. Again, we're swinging over to a musical, but but it's per germane in that you had, as I understand it, the first all Asian cast of a Broadway musical, including the original production of Flower Drum Song, right. could not even make that claim. There are racial issues at play with Primate, mm -hmm. particularly in regards to casting the character of a gorilla. And there are some sure. who are saying, questioning the appropriateness of having a black actor play that role. And of course, some people are saying, right. does that mean you can't have a black man playing a gorilla? Is right. there a right thing? So, so where does race come into, into the issues? Well, you know, uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a difficult question. I mean, if you have a play or a musical where race is inherent, <laughs> you know, a, a fundamental quality, then that becomes, a, to me, an opportunity to reach a particular market segment. I mean, I didn't decide to get involved with Fire Drum Song because it was going to be the first all-Asian uh, <laughs> musical. I got involved in it because of my relationship with David Henry Huang and my personal commitment to his work and what he was trying to say in the work. Um, but to expand on this, uh, th this topic, I think uh, I have a different kind of list from Michael's list. I think that uh, for a serious play, on Broadway, you have to be able to identify multiple market segments that would be interested in the play. There's the small segment, as you said, of serious play theater goers, but that's not enough. You have to have another segment you can go to. Now, a star, a major star, mm -hmm. can do that. Uh, a, a topic can possibly do that. 
if uh, you know, like an August Wilson play, you know, you can really reach out into the uh, African American community and try and draw that se sector in. So there, there are different ways of segmenting. Uh, uh, potential audiences. But I think to succeed, you really have to go beyond that small, serious play theater going audience and, and identify and specifically market to other segments of the potential theater going community. We found with Anna in the Tropics, Michael, I think you'll bear me out, that many of the theater goers or would be theater goers for Anna in the Tropics felt so happy to actually be invited to the theater. We did an all-Spanish press event, which you should really talk about. And for the first time, people said, we've never been at regular people that are writing for magazines, writing for newspapers, doing radio and TV, and they're never invited specifically for theater, you know. And I think that was very interesting that we learned that. Yeah, we, we, we sat in a meeting one day and we talked about the perception of what keeps an ethnic audience from coming to the theater. And it's about a perception that the theater is not a place where, um, uh, well, basically, it's, it's that they haven't been there before. And they have a perception of it that it's um, something that's inaccessible or upscale or highbrow or too intellectual or something. And so we thought, well, the best way to slice, you know, chop that off at the knees is to bring them in here and say, no, 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 you don't understand. You are important to us. You and people like you, we want here. You know, come in, you know, and we had the press conference and we, d we discussed where to have it. And we decided that it was essential that it be in, in the, the theater, theater so that they could be in the building and they could see that it's not a place that some, this other thing happens that you can't be a part of or that people that you're writing for, your audience, you know, your listeners, your viewers on Span in Spanish media outlets can't be a part of. Um, and that you're essential. It's essential that you be a part of it. And it's essential that you come and celebrate this moment for all Hispanics on Broadway, or, or all Hispanics for this historic moment on Broadway, that this is happening, and you have to be a part of it. And they felt very welcomed. They did. They were so appreciative. And, that, that was and I'm sure they're now on your future list for regular, non-Hispanic, any kind of theater, because they really are, <coughs> this is the way we can reach out. It's this really This is really true. what we can do to make the circle wider so we can get more theater goers, you know, and whatever it is that we can do, it, it's what we have to do. Absolutely. I want to segue, and we're going to come back to some of these qualitative issues, but I just want to ask some basic questions because so many of the people in, in our audience don't know exactly what it takes to, to get a play on. Very simply, of these most recent projects that we're talking about, what simply is the budget for these plays? For uh, 16 Wounded, what was the budget? It was $2.2 Primate? 1.6. For Anna? Anna was about 1.62. Actually. 1.5. Yeah. <laughs> and you are finding this money where? With difficulty? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that I'm, I, we do a season every, every, every year, and I'm, we do three productions, and uh, nonprofit, you know, corporations, individuals, and foundations, that's how, and a benefit, that's how we survive when we do theater. This is the first attempt that I personally have had in trying to raise money, and it is the hardest thing that I've ever, ever done. I find a, a fierceness and a tenacity that I didn't know I have, and I find a, 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 a belligerence that I didn't know. Well, I have always known that. But a little more we know. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but by the same token, I am astounded. First of all, the board, my board, to, to credit my board, they stood up for this production because they believed in it. The next level, the next ring beyond that has been un... I, I, I can't even put it to words. It's the most exhausting. 
I have the money, I don't have the money, I have the money, I don't have the money. Whoop, we got, we lost that. I mean, it's that kind of That's thing. That's how it goes. Your heartbeat goes up, your blood pressure goes up, you become depressed. The entire crew, the actors, everybody's waiting on the word. Mm -hmm. It is the most roller coaster <laughs> job I guess I've ever, ever attempted. And, and I must say, I'm, I think I'm better for it, to be quite honest. I've learned some stuff about myself that I didn't know. And I sat on the first preview last night, and I saw four or five hundred people like this, just watching the show. Not a, not a sound. And I, for me, ba-boom, 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 just touched my heart. It touched my heart, and I'm willing to fight for what I believe in, uh, which is this play. And it's a fight. It's an absolute, utter fight. The money raising is more urgent when you're doing a transfer also, mm -hmm. because you have a limited period right. of time within right. which you have to raise the money to make the transfer happen. Right. If you're working on doing a play and you're raising money at a normal course, you don't book the theater until you have the money, right. or most of the money. So there's a different urgency that you experience in a transfer than you feel just normally going forward and, and producing a play. Well, in an It's still hard, but you don't have the clock ticking. In an interesting situation, I happened to speak to one of the actors in Frozen about a week ago, and uh, they told me that they had, in fact, tried to make a few calls to people to help raise the money. That was a show. It existed. You had a company, and everybody wanted to see it go on. That's typically not, not a role that, uh, that you find the performers playing, but well, obviously there was is. a commitment to, to, to keep that show going. Is it? Is yes, it more common? Yes, sometimes it is. Uh, everyone pulls together, mm -hmm. and everybody really wants to see what they can do to help. I've had actors introduce producers, you know, to different people. Well, I've got an aunt, and I've got a friend, and maybe they, you know, because I'm involved in it, uh, that being the actor speaking, they might be able to help out or introduce us to someone else. Everybody really gets on the same team. That's what happened with Frozen. Yeah, yeah. Because the time pressures were such that we had to try to pull it together in so quickly. In that situation. And, and it, you know, it's... Uh, and it worked. It did. Michael, first. Very, very, I echo what Bob said. Um, everybody, uh, I, I had to get a core team together, basically. And then it was a ripple effect mm -hmm. from that point. Um, core team being Chase Mishkin and Leonard Soloway and Deborah Black. And um, at that point, we all just went out and beat the bushes. It's very, very hard. It's nerve-wracking. It's insane. Uh, it really is. And um, and went through the exact same thing. So, uh, yeah, we, I'll have a check for you tomorrow. No, you know what? Invite me to previews or, or something. I, you know, let me see. Let me, I'll, I'll make my decision later or uh, call me in a week. And it's, it's crazy. But uh, you know, somehow you, you get it enough just at the right time. Well, not every time, but in my case, just to get us to the next step and then to the next step and then to the next step. And, you, you carry on until you're at the point where you're, um, you're opening, and, or hopefully uh, beyond opening. But um, it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's uh, a widening of, I've, I called everybody I knew <laughs> and, and asked them, do you know anybody? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, a lot of my friends, uh, and, and you find out who hates you and <laughs> who loves you, who supports you. And, who says, uh, don't ever call me again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you get through it. You, it's true. You're a little stronger in the end. And I am amazed. Uh, it's truly, I'm amazed at the, you know, I, I'm amazed at the verve that it takes to, to make cold mm -hmm. phone calls or oh, follow yeah. leads just to, and what's driving me is the theater. Well, that's the only way you can yeah. do it. Right. If you don't love the project, step one, if you don't love the project, 
you can't do that. Right. That's you right. put yourself on the line in that's such right. a way that's demoralizing, really. Right. Right. And unless you believe so passionately mm. in the project, you couldn't possibly do it. It's not like you're selling stock. Exactly. You know? I, I must say, I, I, share with you, I, made, I think I made one big mistake in doing all of this. I, because I'm so passionate about the piece, I just yeah. go like, oh my gosh, you know, you get like that. I thought he said he was in. Do you know what you I mean? Heard yeah. Yeah. You heard him say he was in. Oh, he's in. Our problems are solved. To find check time, right. he was never in. So all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my God, now uh -huh. what do I do? That's right. I'm short, you know, oh my God. Uh -huh. And then, Phone call, phone call, phone call. But the that's process. the one thing I've learned also. <laughs> I really to have carefully? to listen. Right? Yes. <laughs> and then the question is, will I make money on this one? Oh, uh, God, we don't know. even think about that. Uh, no, 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 no. I don't mean that's the question the investor may ask. Oh, the investor. The investor no. will say, well, Michael, what do you think? Will I make money on this project? And, and who knows? You know. I always tell investors, probably not, but yes. and that you're doing this for the right reasons. You're supporting yes. good work, right. you're making something happen that didn't happen before, right. and you're going to influence a lot of people that will see it. If you make your money back, yeah. you'll be so happy. Right. And if you make a profit, which happens from time to time, <laughs> you know, you'll be ecstatic. Exactly. But that's not the reason to do it. You no, can never ask someone to put money in expecting to get it back because it happens too rarely. Ten to one Sad to good, say. Ten to one isn't a good formula? Yeah, go to the horse track. <laughs> same same, same thing, exactly. <laughs> Just so, so people understand, we're talking to you all as producers, and then you're talking about investors. In this day and age, of course, we see shows, not so much the plays, although it happens where we'll see eight, ten producers on, on a project. Uh, Carolina Change, admittedly uh, a musical, has twenty or so I'll up there. I'll tell you why. And, and Ben referred to by committee. So I'm curious, as these projects are shepherded forward, how many producers can you have a project on a project? How many producers do you need on a project? And who's driving the bus? But please first tell us why there are so many on Caroline. On Caroline or Change, the situation was deemed to be even more risky than normally risky. And so a group of people that all producers came to see it at the public and decided it was Tony Kushner and Janine Tesori and George and people we wanted to support and that we loved, loved, loved the work. And we said, well, if we take this pie, this, let's say, $6 million pie, and we make slices that everyone feels comfortable enough probably losing, how many people would it take to make to raise this money so that we can move it to Broadway and we can give it a chance? Uh -huh. Because we all loved it so. We love it so. And everybody that loved it came forward with the amount of money they were willing to risk, put up at risk, and it took that many people to make it happen. But we all did it with the right intentions, and we're still you know, thrilled to be supporting the work. And that's how it got done. Some of the producers um, took a share that they then had to go and find other people to lay off some of it on. Some of the producers just came up to the, you know, came up to it and said, I'll take this, I'll be responsible for this. And that's how it happened. And that's why there are 20 people producing Carolina Change. Yeah, I think but it's it got great done. I think it's a great effort. Great and effort. it's all people in the theater community that were of like mind about this project. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's rare <laughs> that it happens, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. You want me to comment about the committee? <laughs> well, you, 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 <laughs> and you look like you're ready to. Uh, you know, when a larger investor comes forward to join the project, they like to really be involved, and they deserve to be involved. And uh, and so the you know 
the sense of committee really has to do with that. And uh, unless one is going to totally fund a project on their own, which very, very few people, if anybody, does that today, uh, you're going to have a team of partners. And, uh, you know, one of the things that one learns is how to deal with that. You know, I have certainly had successes and failures. I was actually, a, uh, I was involved with Angels in America in a, in a somewhat odd way, at least I think. Uh, Rocco Landisman, again, had taken the lead, and uh, uh, all of the money to produce Angels in America was raised between, I believe it was 14 producers. Uh, and uh, I was not one of them. And Rocco called me up and said, you know, these 14 people will never agree on anything. So would you be the executive producer and help us make decisions? And that's how I got involved uh, with, with Angels in America. Uh, you know, it's, you know it, is, it is complex working with, with a team of uh, producers, but that's how it happens. I mean, it's the, it's the nature of the world. I mean, that's what I would say. I think on Caroline, um, you remind me of something that also happened because it's the Tony Kushner connection. Um, everyone went mm -hmm. to all the original Angel producers to say this, you know, and of course they were aware of it anyway because they right. would follow Tony's work, but everyone mm -hmm. was offered. Anybody on Angels who wanted to be involved was offered. But our committee is working differently, a bit differently. Um, we don't have an executive overseer, but we've broken up into smaller committees so that people that are interested in marketing sort of talk about the marketing, and people that are interested in, you know, in other things deal with other things. And then there are many people that are only interested in in finding the money to help make it happen and don't come to the meetings and don't care and have trusted those of us that are happy to be, you know, working on it, really rolling up our sleeves and working on it, and they're fine with that because that's the role they want to play. So it's sort of narrowed itself down by self-selection in a way. Not all 20 people are working on the project. That would be impossible. Let me move to a different aspect of new plays on Broadway. Earlier it was said, I believe by Michael, that really everything we've talked about here started in the not-for-profits uh, and how rare a show like Match or, or The Goat is in this day and age, even uh, you know, for playwrights the stature of Edward Albee. Um, if one is a playwright, is it even possible to get a commercial producer to look at a new play if it has not been produced elsewhere? Do you do that? What are the avenues that somebody would, would use to get a play exposed to a commercial producer if, if it is it possible outside of not-for-profit? You know, we, we approach this uh, world producing uh, commercially uh, as everyone on this panel has been saying with a kind of passion. I mean, there, and uh, I sometimes feel like a dog with a bone about new plays, but there's mm -hmm. a, you know, there is a, a new play that I have been very interested in for five years. And uh, I probably, I think it probably should be done off-Broadway. Uh, it's, a, it's a writer who's never been produced in a major way, but I love the play. And uh, uh, I'm trying to look for the way uh, to put it together. On the other, in, in another way, you know, if it's somebody who's known, who has, the, I mean, the, the, the first case I was using is a totally unknown playwright. Um, I just, uh, 
made the decision to produce a new play by Ariel Dorfman, Death of the Maiden. It, it's a two-character play. I know Ariel. He gave me the play. I read the play, and that was it. I decided I wanted to do it. Um, so it's, you know, different methodologies, uh, you know, different ways that plays come to you. I receive, and I'm sure, Daryl, you <laughs> receive many, many, many scripts uh, unsolicited. It's very hard to keep up with that. Uh, and in fact, I, if it's a completely unsolicited manuscript, I, I really don't generally read it. But if an agent that I know and respect calls me, or if, if a writer I know says, look, I have I read this play by so-and-so on, on a play judging committee, I think you ought to look at it, you take a look. Mm -hmm. I mean, because you're always looking, I think. Always. Something else that happens, which sort of throws it back to the not-for-profit world, oftentimes I'll be sent a play that is a new playwright, and let's say I really like it, and I want to help this playwright yes. come to fruition. So right. I'll call my friends in the not-for-profit world and say, do you have a slot, or do you have a reading series, or do you have anything that you could do to help this play have a first step because I really believe in it. Well, the not-for-profit is happy to hear that I believe in it because then they think they'll be able to have someone to be their partner on it, which is great right. for both of us. And it will give a playwright a chance to, you know, to have a first something. And I think that's, again, back to how not-for-profit <coughs> and commercial can work so well together and should, and should, because lots of good things can be achieved, you know, and it can come in and out of many doors, I think. There is, a, there, there is a disturbing trend, I think, though, to be looking for the one, two, three character plays these days, which I think is um, not, not a great particular trend. I, I don't know if you were all As faced. opposed to a larger category. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of um, what, I, at least a lot of the writers that I'm coming across say, uh, listen, I have this ten-character play, but I won't give you that. I'll give you my two-character play. And I, and I thought, well, I want to read the ten-character play, too. And, but there is a reality of, even if I like it, <laughs> Can you what do it? I do with it? Um, because it's, it's not economically feasible. So then the not-for-profit world picks up that slack, but then it may also get done and run into the, to the problem of, now what? Um, does it get produced on Broadway? Um, that's, a that's another whole uh, well, I think issue. the problem is off-Broadway more than on-Broadway. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Because off for off-Broadway, it's just untenable it's not to have a huge cast. I mean, yeah. we were pushing the envelope with wit. Right. But Broadway, I think, at least there's still a chance that, that you right. can have you're a larger right. cast. Right. And when you say but large cast with wit, eight? Nine. Nine. Right. That's, so what that's, that's considered a large yeah. cast. That's about yeah. as big as you, you can make it work off-Broadway. You know, I, 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 I'm, in, I'm in the clouds. I don't really care how big the cast is. I really go, because I feel that a play can be done. Um, we may have to talk to the playwright to get rid of some characters, you know. But I believe that, that I, before I go to producing head, I, gotta, I have to find the kernel of the passion and the raison d'etre for doing the play. And after having found that, then somehow you find a way to do the play. Maybe you don't go to Broadway, maybe you go to Paris, you know, or whatever you, maybe you go to London and then have the big boys bring you back. Who knows how, you call Daryl incessantly. I mean, who knows <laughs> how, you know, you make it happen. But, but I, because it, it's hard enough to find a good play. Oh, yeah. That's, for me at least, is the, the bigger question is, rather than how do I produce it, is to find a play that I, that I can put this, these guns behind and want to produce. That's a hard, hard, hard equation. There's a lot of, a lot of paper, but not a lot of plays.
some of the new producers that I'm running into really have narrowed their, their band of, uh, to one or two character yeah. you know, plays. They're willing to do that and try to make that happen. And uh, they're new people in town, but they can't conceive of taking on a, a play with five or ten characters. You know point. what's really interesting in the financial discussion that has to pers you know, follow? A one-person show sometimes costs exactly the same exactly. as a five-person show. That's true. I as Daryl and I know. As we know. <laughs> and the, the sad thing is that the actor's salary is not what makes the difference in right. your expenditures. I mean, it's the same marketing, the same advertising, the same theater rent, the same everything. Whether there's one person standing on the stage by themselves or whether there are five. Exactly. So, it, you know, people think, new producers right, yeah. think, oh, it's going to be much easier for us to produce much more, you know, mm -hmm. economical. Well, it's not. Can I ask sadly. a question of all of you? I'm curious. Do you feel, I've been around the block a couple of times, do you feel that there's, that competition is good and that there's more competition now in terms of product, in terms of plays and musicals on Broadway and off-Broadway? Do you feel that there's been a decline in all the years that we've done theater here in New York? Because I can only speak mm -hmm. to New York, but do you have any? Because like my theater, it wasn't in existence 18 years mm -hmm. ago, so that, I know your theater wasn't yes. in. So these are two new theaters on the scene, even right. though we're, you know, teenagers, we, we've been around. And, and, and so is there, are we, just, are we bringing too much product that the market can bear? Are we, is oh, the I theater, think, you know what I'm saying? I would respond by saying, sadly, I think the number of audience members yeah. has decreased yeah. for various reasons. I, I wouldn't discount 9-11, people maybe being afraid to come into the city, although a lot of that's back and feeling a lot stronger, I right, think. Right. But there, when, you have so, when you look at the ABC page in the New York Times, yeah. and it runs from top to bottom, and you know there are only uh, so many people that are going to come and see theater, right. you think, oh my God, there's just too much out there. And as a theater goer, you say, well, how am I going to choose what to see? Well, what have you read about? What have you heard about? Who's got a big star you ever want to see from TV or film? And the choices are made for various reasons, of course. Some good, some not so good. But there is too much, in my opinion. And I can't believe I'm saying that, because I'm the biggest champion of mm. new plays. Right, right. But I think it, it causes competition in a way that's just untenable. You know. How, How do you, you choose? Do you feel uh, well, I, I think, think Daryl is very right. I, the, 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 the nature of commercial audiences, if I can focus on that, in New York has changed significantly. Uh, uh, really since uh, the early 90s, uh, when New York became a tourist destination. And the commercial product, if you will, on Broadway, had to, could not survive unless there was a connection with that tourist market. And that is the cause of some of what Michael was talking about in terms of you must have a star and or you know a known I mean there has to be a hook that someone who's visiting New York who is not you know a regular part of the theater scene so to speak you know so wh why would they pay 75 80 85 dollars to see a show that is one sort of answer to the question but another way of addressing your question is about the notion of competition uh, Frankly, that's what I like about producing commercially, either Broadway or off-Broadway, because you, you know, you really have to work at top form, and it's and it's a and you have to have artists ready to work at top form, and and it, and that really engages me, and and the work has to be of of the first order, and so competition in in that sense that I really want to mount something that is going to make its mark and stand 
tall in this competitive universe is a challenge that I like. I think that's the thing that I find interesting because I find I'm looking for an event. To me, theater is right. an event. So it's not just about a package of this and that, of X amount of characters or X amount of scenery. <coughs> to me, it's some kind of event that is new or unique, which makes it a new play in my case. New or unique. Uh, and it can be something about a family. It doesn't have to be, you know, wild stuff. But there's something about it that creates an event. And that's what, I'm the same way. I like that about new plays and about new, new products because it's, uh, that's what that's that's the turn on. I mean, well, creating an event around a play is a very interesting subject that Michael can address too. And sometimes you don't have the wherewithal to do that financially. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't have the subject in the play to do that, right. and it just doesn't become the event that it needs to. Some off-Broadway small things become events. I mean, I think Matt and Ben has become an event in a funny mm -hmm. way, you know, and and it's small and it it's done it. But getting to that event level is really something that we all aspire to do for the right reasons. Not just to say, oh, hoopla, hoopla, here we are. Yeah, no, right, no. But because you want, you know, you want to focus on the play. You want other people to know you're there and you want them to experience the play. Right. So that event status is something we all try to catch. Right. Um, how do we do it? <laughs> Sometimes it's tricky to find out. And you know, there's one thing in, in our, as long as we've been talking, which is, well, I won't say in case you're editing this. <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing that we haven't addressed, which I think is, is, is the biggest factor in the success of a straight play on Broadway, is reviews. Well, that was, uh, that was the next question. We've actually been very successful because sometimes it's the first thing people want to talk about. Right. But what is, what is both the, the overall journalistic environment towards plays nowadays and, and ultimately are the reviews the be-all and end-all for a new play in New York City? I think I criticism, I'm oh, sorry. I, you know, I, I think that they are. I think the reviews are absolutely crucial to a new play. Mm -hmm. I think it... Uh, More so it than a musical. Right. Absolutely. Right. Without a doubt. Because, uh, because once again, you're going for a targeted audience, a smaller audience, and you're looking to expand that. And, and I think a, a positive review in the Times is, is the way that you do that most successfully. Um, that being said, aren't we having some concern about who's writing these reviews lately? I was going to say, literary criticism right now to me is, is shambles. I think it's one of the crises of our industry. And I, I maybe I can afford to say that because I'm a nonprofit producer, but I remember the days of really wonderful criticism where mm -hmm. people, Walter Kerr, and right, Walter Kerr, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. Clerman, those guys talked about the play from a theatrical perspective about what they saw and mm -hmm. what they uh, and theater, theater knowledge, the, the kind of criticism, which I think is a crisis in our industry right now, I the agree. kind of criticism that we're getting um, is, is the personal. obvious word. It, it's that's right. personal. Forget the idea of destructive mm -hmm. and all that. That's so obvious. It's personal. It's exactly that. It's personal in a way in which that it doesn't really enlighten or inform a prospective theater goer, I don't think, mm -hmm. uh, about what to see or what not to see. And if... if uh, information fit to print is the way to go. I, I don't know that it's information. I think it's you a big problem. It's very interesting when you asked about competition and, and uh, you asked for various opinions about is there too much product and can the market bear it. I actually had this fantasy as I was sitting here pondering that question about I would like to ask the critics for one season to give everything a rave review <laughs> just as an experiment. It will never happen. But, but survival of the fittest, then. It's as, a fair I'd like to be there ground. and you ask them. As an experiment. <laughs> <laughs>
it won't be happening. So, don't. <laughs> See, on um, the other hand, though, I'm really empathetic to them because I've seen a lot of bad theater. I mean, imagine having to go to the theater every single night of the week and having to write every a deadline. Blah blah blah. I'm, that, I'm empathetic to the job, and I think we have people who really care about the theater, despite what they write. They care about the theater. It, Absolutely. It's, it's a matter of, I think, uh, journalistic responsibility, I guess. Uh, it, it, that, and, and, and literary criticism, not even journalism, just literary criticism. What is it that you're writing about and what for? I wish they would teach that in universities. I wish they would teach people how to do, li how to do criticism that is actually critical in a positive way. Right. Not critical in a dismissive or negative way, which is what I'm feeling is more, mm -hmm. I don't know, a lot of people writing for theater now are very intelligent and have wonderful ways of writing, but I don't think they're giving the public, as you say, the tools they need to decide if they want to come and see this or not. Oftentimes, it's just a dismissive thing. So, sadly, because Michael is 100% right in saying that reviews mean everything, it would be nice to know that those reviews were actually thoughtful reviews, constructive. They don't have to like everything. Nobody would, and that's not even what I'm suggesting. But it's hard for, for an audience to make judgments based on some of the reviews that I have read that don't tell you enough, don't tell you anything. You know, I agree completely with the tenor of, of uh, everyone's comments, but I, w I would also like to add, it, you know, one of the things that I have tried to do and I recently failed to do is to have enough strength behind a show that we're not totally dependent on reviews. Now, as you said, Daryl, you know, you can, it's easier with musicals and plays, yeah. but I think that should always be our goal, that if we, you know, that there's enough of a base audience, enough of an advance through the first six or eight weeks of the mm -hmm. run, so that if you don't get good reviews, um, you know, that you can really try to develop some sort of word you of mouth. You can sort of neutralize the reviews right. by being You know, being it's there. very hard. It's I mean, hard. I, you know, mm -hmm. I had, you know, uh, I just produced 16 Wounded, which closed very quickly, and it was a total failure in terms of being uh, anything but review dependent. And we didn't get the reviews and we closed. And uh, I, I really, you know, per I feel uh, really personally saddened, not, you know, I wish we had gotten better reviews, but I'm saddened that we put, what, uh, that I as a producer allowed ourselves to be in that position. Well, sometimes yep. it's not our choice. Yeah, I, know. I mean, yeah. I know Michael and no, I have I'm had this discussion many times, and it's about sometimes people won't pay attention and give you an editorial story until yeah. the reviews. They want to know if they should support it or That's not. Right. And so you try very hard to right. build in that support or that safety net, which I totally agree and is the way to go. But sometimes, Michael, I know you know this is true, the editors don't want to hear about it. Mm -hmm. Well, let's see what happens when it opens, and then we'll do a story on your right. star Frozen, or not. Frozen's moving directly because of the support of the Times. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I must say That's that. That's when it's, it can work. Exactly. Yeah. It's moving directly because of the support of the Times. Um, if I didn't get that, if I didn't have that, that play well, would it wouldn't be wise. Exactly. But with Frozen, ultimately, from the point at which you finally got your money together and really were able to start selling those tickets and making that move, your time's fairly short. You said your first preview was last That's night right. and your official opening is Tuesday, Tuesday next week. So it's... Is it going to be re-reviewed? Are you expecting the press to come back to it? Or are you simply trying to leverage off of what was done at MCC and, and just build the audience from there? Both. 
I think we're going to get a reprint as far as the Times is concerned on page 17, I guess, you know, wherever they do it. <laughs> when they, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. And that's the, the uh, out-of-town critics and the, you know, the magazines will have the critics who didn't come the first time, but they'll come opening night. Because, the, because they do, those publications aren't publications that regularly review off-Broadway. Off -Broadway, exactly. But when it moves to Broadway, they'll pay they'll the attention. Pay attention to it. Michael, you're right. dealing with, with a very similar, well, an even more difficult situation yeah, yeah. because your show played in Florida. Uh, it had a, a very large feature story in the Times, right. which brought up a lot of a lot of attention to the show. Right. Um, but you're coming in very quickly. Is there a safety net? Is there that? Are you are you coming in and saying it's it's going to be up to what this this group of people say? For better or for worse, it's going to be up to the New York Times because. Um, we didn't have time to do a mailer. We didn't have time mm -hmm. to do the prep on this show, which uh, may prove to be in a situation like yours in the sense that, um, you know, should all of that have been put into place way, you know, so we build up an audience and build up uh, the support that could keep it going uh, despite a, 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 a negative review. But we didn't. We knew that. We, uh, we looked at it pretty squarely, I have to say, with cold, you know, we just said, this is the territory. And, and everybody on board said, are we all comfortable with that reality? And everybody was, was comfortable with that and said, we're, we're just going to have to see how that falls. But I would say we're completely dependent upon a review. I have They're to say, reviewed. in addition to the review, though, if word of mouth is good, right. you can't beat the challenge. I, I, at least I haven't beat the challenge, but at least you have a leg up. If people are seeing the play and they're coming out and they're talking about right. it and they're liking it right. and they're saying to friends, you should go see this, you know, at least you have a chance. Yeah. You know, you have a chance. Mm -hmm. If people like it and audiences spread the good word, that's ultimately the best. Yeah, sure. The is, best. But can you, with word of mouth, mm -hmm. certainly, in, a, in my experience in regional theater, you play five previews and everybody in town knows if the show is good or not because enough people have come in. In a city the size of New York and with the scale of what you have to do to sustain a show on Broadway, can you sustain a show long enough for word of mouth to get out if indeed in some cases it has to outpace what's been written about in the papers? Is that feasible? What are the tools? What are the contexts that you create to sustain that? Well, you do need that base of direct mail, or, or now it's mm -hmm. much more about uh, internet sales mm -hmm. and uh, e m in the email blasts. I guess the they're called blast, email right. blasts. Mm -hmm. And so, if you have that base and that cushion, at least you have a running start. Um, I have to say, it's hard. It's really hard. I'm not optimistic about it. You know, if the reviews are across the board not good or mixed to poor. And even if you have the direct mail out and you have all the, you know, it depends on how far your pre-sale goes out. And it depends on how people are responding. Because it's interesting, coupled with if somebody's talking about a show, um, two people can be having a conversation about a new play on Broadway. And one will say, oh, I saw this show, Play X. And uh, the person may say, I really enjoyed it. The other person may say, what was the Times review like? Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's all of a sudden A different tempered. story. It's yeah. all of a sudden qualified yeah. with whatever right. the Times That's review right. was. Well, sometimes they'll answer by describing the feature story. Right. I'll say, uh, in, in terms of primate right now, what I'm going through <laughs> today is that um, people are, have very, very strong opinions. And I think that everybody's waiting to 
be, uh, mm -hmm. the people that are passionate about the primate, uh, primate are walking out. They're, 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 I'm getting people that are coming back two or three times saying, this is amazing, I, I love this play. Uh, and then I have people that say, no, I, say, you know, I, I, I just don't like this play at all. Boom. <laughs> Categorical. Black you know. and white. Black and white. And uh, there's a huge group that's waiting to see what the New York Times says, so that if the New York Times says it's great, I think we'll, I think it'll be a flood of support, but it, it could go the other way. Do you, I don't, is there a huge group? That's what I have suspicions about. For a musical, yes. Uh, well, but you're right. Uh, that will hear what the a relatively large group. Yeah, of, of so. audience you're talking yes. about. Yes. Yeah. I, th I, I don't know. I think so. You do. I think they're all, there's a huge group waiting to, to, mm -hmm. to get this, the word on it, and then they'll say, oh, okay, I can like this, or I cannot like this. Yes, it's my sheep theory. I think that the New York Times is, <laughs> is the shepherd, and people are sheep, and they'll follow what they say, or they won't. Unfortunately, a lot of it is a financial issue. Right. I mean, a lot of people want to hear about the play, which takes us back to why it would be great to have wonderful criticism. Right. They want to hear about the play before they decide to plunk 75, 80, 90, 100 dollars for a Broadway ticket. I don't blame them. So the information that people want to wait to gather is, is a valuable point, I think. And, and there's one more thing, if I may say. Sure. Because of primate, and, and there's a lot of internet buzz. Yes. And, and a lot of the internet buzz, though, are people that haven't seen the production. They just start talking about it. Which is an amazing phenomenon, because right. they're saying, well, oh, my friend saw this, who saw that. So, so we're getting fourth-hand reviews <laughs> on the internet from people who have not seen the production, but they think they know entirely everything about it. So I'm not sure what that's about and whether that's helpful in this particular environment right now. Uh, in some cases, it's, you know, it's positive. In some cases, it's negative. But, but it's, it's, not, it's not direct, which it's is uninformed. of concern. Yeah. Which brings yeah. me to me, to, something to me which I don't think I have an answer for. Besides my whole crisis in my own, he own head about uh, criticism, I think as an industry, too, as an industry, uh, nonprofit and profit, I don't know how well we've marketed the industry yes. of theater yes. to a public at large. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just think that's something, and I, I have an answer. Uh, certainly, it's something we struggle with every show. We certainly had a lot of meetings on it. How to, get a target audience, how to blah, 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 blah. But the issues of marketing, and particularly marketing taking such precedence now in, in, in the effort of a play, right. um, I don't know that we've, been, we've accomplished ourselves in terms of, or accomplished as much as we want to in terms of that. There are efforts being made to try to unify, you know, many plays under one umbrella. I know the League is trying to do things and get the word out about Broadway generically, mm -hmm. in a sense, that, you know, come back to Broadway or come to Broadway or whatever they're saying. Um, and I think they're trying. I think yeah. there are efforts being made. I think efforts are made, and, but mm -hmm. I think there are inherent challenges in that. And I think it has to do with, it, many times in ad meetings we compare what we do to what big budget films do. Right. And I think that's a good comparison because those are marketed mm -hmm. brilliantly. Right. Mm -hmm. There is a huge budget for those things, which right. we never have the luxury of. There's also, on the flip side, it's, 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 it's how dollars are, are shared by, by the two responsible parties, the people that right. produce it and the people that see it. You know, and it's the, it's the reverse. Movies have huge, <coughs> big budgets for advertising and publicity. Theater has none. On the flip side, it costs $10 to see a movie. It costs 75 to see a play or 100 to see a musical. I think there, those, are, those are certain factors, that, variables, that I think will forever sort of put a ceiling on what you can do in terms of of marketing to a mass audience. And I also think, you know, in terms of um, editorial outlets, many times when we pitch a show, um, 
a common answer from a publication can be, well, we're not going to do that because Broadway is a local story. Right. In many ways, I think that, that th there's a real perception of that, too. Now, on the other hand, if there's a big star in a play or a musical on Broadway, and it's a household name, that's, that's no longer a local story, and that, that sort of breaks through the local story perception. But, but I, think there, I, think there are real, I think there are challenges there that I'm, I'm not sure how to get around. I don't remember the challenges being so great. In, again, in all the years I've been doing this, I think there's an increased sense of challenge now, you know, in the last, even the last five years. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it is challenging. Yeah. I don't know. It would be wonderful if it were more industry-wide, you know, that everybody pulls together and tries to just say, come and see a play, you know, come and see a play. And, and we have a lot of work to do about that. Cost is a big issue. Yes. Mm -hmm. Ticket prices mm -hmm. are a huge issue. Yes. You know, getting students and young audiences to come in, huge issue. Um, you know, once you get past the good quality of the work on stage, right. there are a lot right. of things to deal with that we are responsible to do, I think. We have uh, literally uh, just two or three minutes left, but I want to ask very quickly, mm -hmm. we've talked about the challenge of what happens with press, we've talked about how audiences respond to that. Michael made a comment about people coming out of the theater and talking to him. Very quickly, have you, how do you hear from audiences? beyond whether they actually buy the tickets or not. Do you, as producers, have direct dialogue with audience members at any time? I and do. so have. Mm -hmm. uh, email. They email me. They write me letters. I had a really wonderful letter about a lady who absolutely hated the show that I did. Hated it. <laughs> and I called her and took her out to lunch. And we had a great <laughs> lunch. And she told me all that was wrong with the show. And, and I respectfully disagreed. And it was a wonderful lunch. But I actively pursue that, because I think we, we can all live in a bubble. I actually asked Daryl, people like Daryl come see my shows all the time, just to see if there's any future viability for, for a show that I'm doing. So besides subscribers, I also ask fellow producers to come and take and a look. And you want feedback. And I want I mean, feedback. you want feedback from people mm. you respond to. I always try to listen to audiences when I'm visiting a show. I stand in the back at intermission right. and I want to hear what people say. I go into the ladies' room, you know, I stand online like a person and I want to hear what people <laughs> 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 you know, I sort of want to hear what people say and then you can go back with that information and utilize it in a way that can be helpful. Um, when we did The Goat, we had um, lots of talkbacks and we had lots of talkbacks with wit, too. Right. And then you get to really hear directly from people who are willing to stay a bit and have a dialogue. And I love that. People really say what they think and want you to hear what they have That's to say right. about it, good, bad, or indifferent. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I, w I walked a couple down the street uh, next to them because uh, we don't have an intermission. So uh, I am missing some of the intermission <laughs> uh, talk. So uh, this couple had a very animated conversation, and I, I trailed them. They thought I was a stalker. <laughs> so uh, at some you point were. they were. I was. Theater stalker. <laughs> at some point, but I, I try to listen all the time. Yeah. And Ben? Oh, I'm, <coughs> I'm a great believer in uh, you know, trying to understand what an audience is seeing in the theater. And I, you know, I've for almost every show I've done, I've done exit surveys, and because you you can't be a hundred percent positive that the way you're positioning your show is the way the audience perceives your show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, Good point. you know, the you know one just quick example uh, when I was doing uh, two trains running, August Wilson's two trains running, uh, we started noticing that the audience was getting younger, which was very surprising. And we did a survey, and something that had never occurred to us was the fact that Lawrence Fishburne was in it. And he had done about 
nine months before that, Boys in the Hood. Mm. And, you know, learning from that, I mean, it's not that we didn't know and respect Lawrence, but we didn't realize that he was actually influencing who was coming to the theater. Mm. And so it changed our marketing, and we started going, you know, into more youthful urban markets. And I think we got an extra eight or nine weeks to the show mm -hmm. as a result of that. We have to wrap up. Uh, these seminars coming to you from the Graduate Center of City University of New York are part of the American Theatre Wing's ongoing commitment to, pro to supporting excellence and education in theatre and giving people more of an opportunity to understand how theatre gets made and, of course, why we need to keep going to the theatre. I want to thank our panel for being with us today, for their thoughts. It is indeed, as was said, a conversation that uh, could have probably go for five hours. But uh, today we had 90 minutes. Uh, I thank everyone for watching. I thank all of you for being here. And on behalf of the American Theatre Wing and theatre in general, go out and see a play. Thanks.